I'm so thankful to be able to introduce uh, Vanit Sasane to come and preach, as he will in just a few minutes. Vanit and Saya are right up here. You want to see Saya, just so you can see who she is if you weren't here last week. Uh, they'll be here tonight giving us an update on ministry in Pune, India. Uh, we're thankful to be able to partner with them. Vanit pastors there, and um, it's the first time for them to visit us. It's been great to have them with us. Um, it's just been a great time. He did scripture reading last Sunday. Uh, you'll hear a good update tonight at 6 o'clock, and We'll tell you details about that later. I want to tell you just a short um, experience that I had that, that really will help you understand why I love Vanit so much uh, and love the ministry the Lord has given him. Uh, I'd probably even tell you why you love him so much because we're like-minded in this. A number of years ago, uh, I was at a conference in India, um, and it's a good conference. I was thankful to be there. It was the second time I was there, and um, there are several American pastors who come, and they're supposed to be the, you know, the seasoned ones and the veteran ones, and they're going to come and do this conference for Indian pastors, and it's a great experience. But that particular conference was one in contrast, contrast for me. I will never forget it. There was one pastor who was there, an American pastor, um, and he had all the right credentials, right schooling, training in languages, amazing PowerPoint presentation, polished speaker, great suit and outfit. He probably preached, let's say, for an hour and five minutes. And he never so much, met much as mentioned Christ, as I recall. There was no gospel. It was a Christless sermon. And it was infuriating. This is a Christian pastor's conference. It was infuriating for me. Then there's a young seminary student named Vanit. And the seminary gave him five minutes to do a devotional. And he gave the most gospel-saturated, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring devotional in five minutes and it was awesome. I was so thankful that we actually had a conference that was a Christian pastor's conference. And here was this young seminary student who was given the privilege under the shadow of the, the, the big, uh, big name Americans. I love Vanit because Vanit loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason he loves the Lord Jesus Christ and wants to preach Christ is because he knows that Christ loved him first. Otherwise, there'd be no love. And so I love boasters, not boasters in self, not boasters in education, but people who boast in Christ. And I know you do too. We're two peas in the same pod here at Omaha Bible Church. And so with that in mind, I can't wait for Vanit to come and preach Christ so that we might be encouraged in this Christian worship service. So let's welcome Vanit as he comes to preach. I forgot to tell Vanit he only has five minutes. <laughs> Let's bow ahead in a word of prayer. Indeed, Lord Jesus, we have nothing apart from you. We experience all the grace that you won for us on the cross. We live in it, we thrive in it, we find forgiveness love, strength, power, sanctification. 
And therefore, Lord, we have nothing else but to boast in Christ Jesus. You have become our justification, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, our glorification, our all in all. And we worship you and adore you that you are building your church worldwide and you are raising your army of people to reign with you. Come afresh and visit us, illumine, help, strengthen, edify and glorify your name. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's been amazing to be here. Uh, Got to see some rain. Got to see ice, sorry, snow for the first time in my life. Got to experience the hot sun as well, all in a matter of 10 days. (laughs) And where else would you get that but in Omaha? So, uh, the people have been just amazing, the church body and the way you all came to different desserts and encouraged us and tried to find out about India and what goes on there. It's been a great blessing to our hearts. And it's been a great privilege uh, to preach at the morning service and boast in Christ 8,000 miles away from India. And uh, we are back again, this second service. Uh, The text is 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I'll be reading from verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan pastor, surprised me pleasantly uh, in my reading a few days ago. Uh, He's the kind of guy that hangs out with Chris Peterson. Uh, He loves Puritans and they hang out together. (laughs) But he surprised me pleasantly as I was reading. He wrote to his son, I believe, in a letter and he really opened up his heart and he said this to his son that there are times in life where even ministry and even church and uh, serving Christ as a pastor, there are times when it's so cold in my heart and even doing the sacraments, uh, there's a temptation to just do it coldly and out of devotion and love and gratitude. And then he said that what he has learned to do before such experiences is to take some time and take a turn up and down his first life, his previous life before coming to Christ. And he says that has helped me every time as I ascend the pulpit. Because when I take a turn up and down my life, I realize where I was, I realize the sinfulness that I was in and I realize how great a savior Christ Jesus has been. And that has never failed to warm his heart, to fill his heart with gratitude and devotion. 
and to serve Christ out of gratitude and devotion. As we approach our text this morning, the first words in verse 12 is, I thank him. And then if you go to the bottom, verse 17, Paul is ending this section by giving worship and worship to the king of the ages. And so if we were to have a title for our text, it would be what makes an apostle well up with gratitude and then bow down in worship. What makes an apostle well up in gratitude and bow down in worship? You can imagine probably a third experience, an experience going to the third heavens might do it for Paul. You can imagine that some insight into the deeper mysteries of Christ might do it for Paul. But it's very surprising. Paul comes and recounts his testimony, who he was before Christ and what has come to him in Christ. And that has caused him to well up in gratitude and bow down in worship. Dear friends, this is not a small thing. It almost seems like thankfulness and worship are these kinds of things that you can go by without in the Christian life. But if you see it, that that's the core, that's the engine room, that's, the, that's, that's where all the fuel should be burnt up and, and all the energy come out from our thankfulness and our worshipfulness. But there are some, some places, some churches, we have it in India, that want to just demand it out of you. You need to be thankful. And they keep reminding that and, and keep stressing on the action. And which is not bad. The Bible talks about being thankful. And be worshipful. But they never dwell on, <coughs> excuse me, what makes this gratitude come up? What makes a person to bow down in worship? And Paul has for us the serving grace granted to him. That's where he begins with. And then he goes a little deeper into the redeeming grace in Christ. And then he also talks about the gracious purposes that God has in his conversion. And all of this leads him to bow down, sorry, well up in gratitude and bow down in worship. <coughs> so if you look at your text, verse 12, just before your text, you will see that he talks about the gospel. Paul had a big change in his life. He saw the law as a ladder to ascend to God in his own works. But something happened. The gospel, the full revelation of the good news in Jesus Christ came to him. And basically that good news was, Paul, you can't use this law as a ladder to ascend to God. Rather, it should goad you and make you run to Christ. And that changed everything for Paul. And only on the authority of the gospel could he take such a big decision in his life as a Pharisee, as a Jew, to abandon this kind of usage of the law. And as he thinks about the gospel, he remembers in verse 11 that he has been entrusted with this gospel. And probably his mind goes to the first day that God even loved and showered his saving grace on him. And that begins his journey of just taking a break, but yet not a break in the flow of these passages. You might wonder that he's taken a detour. But yes, he is taking time to boast in Christ Jesus. However, I believe he's also laying down a pattern for Timothy. That Timothy, make sure you 
you take care of this and let not the focus ever be shifted from these central truths. Let not genealogies and stories and all distractions be on center stage. And I believe he's boasting in Christ and at the same time showing us a pattern of what this healthy sound doctrine is. It's not something abstract. It's not something only high level intellectual people can grasp. It is the doctrine of saving grace. And so let's go into our text. If you see verse 12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So definitely there's an element of ministering grace coming his way. There's this factor of how amazing I have been entrusted. Christ saw me faithful, appointed me to service. And there's this element of marveling at this serving grace. To serve Christ is no ordinary business. You cannot do it in natural strength. To serve Christ, it's amazing. Paul says that I strive, but not in my power, as Christ gives me the energy to serve him. Because there's betrayal involved. There were people who stood against him. There's danger involved. There's travel involved. There's exhaustion involved. There's discouragement involved in serving Christ. And no natural man in his own strength could last long enough. But Paul looks at Jesus. He says, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me. And he says, he's called me, he's counted me faithful. Not to say that Paul is saying that I was faithful and Christ was impressed by my potential. We know that as Paul, having been blinded on the road to Damascus, he's sitting there, he's left eating and drinking, and probably he's like a super small baby infant in Christ. And even in that stage, we know that Ananias, the prophet, he's been revealed that he's a chosen vessel of mine to be a light to the Gentiles. So it's not so much Paul that we should be impressed with. It's Christ who counted him faithful. And so Paul would quickly, if we start understanding this text as, Paul, you are so cool and God chose you, he would quickly say, it's Christ who found me faithful, putting me into service. And the word and the idea is, he considered me. Even that is amazing. And then he placed me into service. Do you realize as believers in Christ Jesus, Yes, His sovereign grace placed us into Christ Jesus. But His sovereign grace also places us into service in a local body. Because the word for service here is very general. It could mean you who come up early and serve in the church. It could mean you who who exhort and edify and equip. And most definitely, it means those who stand up and are given the privilege of proclaiming the glories of Christ publicly. And we should never, we should never come to that day where it becomes so routine, it becomes so part of me now that I have ceased to be amazed that I have been put into service. Can you, can you imagine? I'm a living stone. God is building this temple unto His glory. 
and he's placed me in a particular place he's placed me with a particular purpose and he's gifted me in Christ to fulfill serving and equipping the body this should never just be a doctrine which we memorize and answer and quickly move away from let's be amazed let let's let it settle down in our hearts paul could have never figured out the gospel by himself paul could have never found strength to go on and on in those discouraging days and it is only the christ who strengthens and who called him into service that he thinks about in the beginning and so let's be impressed let's be amazed even in our lives what am i doing here a few years ago i was in the kingdom of darkness having no usage you remember paul writes to philemon onesimus he's a runaway slave but he has become useful to me now in christ jesus and let's be amazed at that that he's placed you not only in his kingdom but also in his body and he's given you a special giftedness and a role to perform in his body and let's move on as we think about serving grace he quickly moves on into redeeming grace he's quick to take us deeper into these truths into his life into his experience he would not just make us be satisfied with this external just just general serving grace oh okay you didn't have anything now you kind of find your found your place and you're serving your god great paul no he wants to really go into detail he wants to drop a backdrop of how amazing this is who i was and what mercy has been given to me and so he begins to transition into redeeming saving grace and that caused his heart to well up in gratitude and bow down in worship if you see verse 13 he says though formerly i was a blasphemer persecutor and an insolent opponent but i received mercy because i had acted ignorantly in unbelief sometimes uh, just looking at a situation from one angle you probably think that yeah this person deserves mercy like uh, in india we had this whole debate going on about uh, the killers of one of the most beloved politician in india uh, rajiv gandhi and his killers were arrested in south india they were imprisoned for some some time and then this chief minister or this governor of that area probably for votes and etc etc she wanted to release these captives because some of them were women they had children outside and just to be merciful but i was on a uh, i was on a train with my wife coming back from bombay and i had a magazine in my hand i, I began to read they found some diaries of these terrorists planted uh, in some secret hideouts and those diaries revealed the cold calculated merciless brutal planning that they had to kill this man and if they missed out killing him in south india they even had a backup plan of killing him in north india and as i read those horrid details from that diary i began to wonder no i don't think these people really deserve mercy i don't think these people who are imprisoned deserve mercy one has to look at the accounts afresh one has to look into the accounts or the charges and the way they carried out this plan in detail to begin to understand that these people are probably better off in prison and so paul wants to paint the picture lest we get impressed by paul he he wants us to be impressed by his great savior and he paints the picture so vividly so clearly and dear friends dear brothers and sisters in christ this is 25 years after that day on the road to damascus 
So he never got over that experience. He could recount it. And he never got some uh, good feeling about himself and some good credit about He says it like it is. But without any guilt because the guilt is taken out in Christ Jesus. So this is how he describes himself. Though formerly I was a blasphemer. You could think of him abusing Christ. You could think of him using bad words even as he ran around chasing Christians. Having caught them perhaps he caused them to blaspheme the name of Christ. And all in his mind was that he is this Jewish carpenter. And why such a big deal about this man? He's a blasphemer, a persecutor. He didn't have small plans. The Bible describes he was breathing violence, even murder against the Christians. And it's not that somebody else was kind of forcing him to do it because he says, I was an insolent oppressor. I loved it. I, I hated them. I went after them. Do you think a man like this deserves mercy? But he's shocking us. The first shock is that a man like this is in service. The second shock is that he is a man like this. He was a man like this. He says it how it is. And then he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. That is our great God. Ephesians 2 says, at the moment of salvation, it was not some random computer program that just set everything in motion. It says we were slaves to Satan, we were slaves to the world system, we were slaves to our fleshly lusts, but God being rich in mercy, God's heart moved at that time. Never let us think that it was some random program, heartlessly. God saw us, God saw Paul, God saw us. And his heart moved with compassion. Seeing the kind of danger, the eternal danger Paul was in and we were in. It is mercy that moved and did not give us what we deserve. And did not give us what we deserve. So Paul says, this is who I was, but I was mercied because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And you might say, hold on, he acted ignorantly in unbelief. Does it mean that he's not responsible? Does it mean that some sins, you know, they just happen and we are not responsible? It's not like that. Every sin, the Bible says, we are responsible for. There's no sin that can just, you know, go in a gray zone and just be bypassed. So what does this mean? I believe Paul is trying to tell us that he's not like the false teachers or the Pharisees that in a calculated way they, in spite of the truth coming to them, refused Christ Jesus. He says, I was, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Any further doubt should quickly be removed. In verse 14, we come to know the word grace. And the grace of our Lord overflowed. Grace is not given to people who deserve. Mercy, yes, mercy is what we deserved is not given to us. Grace is what we can never deserve is showered on us. And that is grace. I remember one famous TV, sorry, not a TV evangelist, but a TV evangelist don't talk about that anymore. But some famous evangelist said that he was, he got a ticket for speeding. And then he had to go and meet the judge. And the judge recognized him and said, oh, are you not that evangelist? You know what? 
I'll let your fine go. And then he also said, I'll take you to lunch. Probably took him to a steak place and uh, showered his love on him. And that evangelist said, you know what? Mercy was not getting what I deserved. And it was very gracious of him to take me out for lunch. Bad illustration. Bad illustration. Why? Because the judge was impressed by the greatness of that man. And we had nothing to impress him. Remember the songs that we sang? No raising of hand. By the way, that caught me thinking, should I raise now uh, my hand? Should I not? But no raising of hand. No tears. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal? No respite, no. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And that is, you know, we cannot have appropriate illustrations for this. This is grace flooding the banks. Just like you all had a flood I heard a couple of years ago. But it's destructive power that destroyed everything in its way. This is grace. This is favor. This is the steadfast love which is better than life in Christ Jesus. And every believer has experienced this. If there's any service that I am doing in the church, if there's any usage for me in my life, is there any encouragement coming out of my life, is, if there is any goodness that I am enjoying, if there's any help from God in my trials, that is all this grace which is flooding and overflowing the banks. And the good news is this grace is from a reservoir that is unlimited. Uh, the greatness of our Lord, who can compare? You can, you can, you, he is from ages to ages and his grace is unending towards his children. But notice, grace came with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Grace did not come for any other reason because you were born in a Christian house, because uh, you had learned these catechisms, because you were very active in Sunday school growing up. No, no. It's grace which came to me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Apart from Christ Jesus, God has no dealings. He's not obligated, but in Christ, in Christ, we get grace. And you notice faith and love. That is how despicable our condition was. How hard can it be to lean? I mean, that's the easiest thing, to lean on a chair, to lean on a rock. But we couldn't even lean in and of ourselves. Because it says, grace came to us with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So, how do I know if I have the same deal like Paul had? How do I know if I am saved? Probably I understand parts of the faith. But along with this faith, it's never alone. It, there comes this, this regenerating power, this newness of heart, this love for the Savior and love for His people. And you could see that in Paul's life. Overnight, he wanted to hang out with believers. He fellowshiped with them. He wanted to stand and proclaim the truth in the synagogue that Christ Jesus, He is the Lord. Let's be amazed. Let's be amazed at this all over again. This redeeming love, that faith and love came in Christ Jesus. Let me boast a little about this Savior through my own life. I talked to you a little bit about my own testimony. But, you know, all the hard and fast rules in my own house, they couldn't change me. They made me all the more upset. They made me all the more find avenues to deceive my parents and indulge in the life. So it's basically like Paul puts himself in Ephesians 2 that he 
even he includes himself that he did not have we were enslaved to the desires of our flesh so no form of outward disciplining and outward rigorous system that i grew up in could give that inward victory and so i began this life of hypocrisy then and and deception and i messed up my life as a 20 year old no meaning no purpose no hope in life and then the truth comes through those cassettes and i understand my sinfulness my church was great at exposing my sinfulness but they never tell me the full story and that's when i got to know the full story the full story is that christ jesus he atoned fully for my eternal wrath and he atoned and he drank that cup of fury fully and i remember there was not no truth that could change my life there was no truth that could captivate my heart and pull me out of all those fleshly desires that i was living in and the pursuit hasn't stopped every day has been better i've been so many bibles that i've finished reading and i feel as if i have just begun especially when you hang out with chris peterson and pat evenroth you like where do these guys see all this you know i want more let me skype more that is this amazing power of christ jesus our lord he changes our very heart he changes our affections he draws us in him forever by the way this grace in christ jesus if you think that probably i'll run dry out of it ephesians 2 says in the ages to come he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace in christ jesus so better get used to it stop trying to say that no i think i should try and make myself worthy of it just humbly receive it and thrive and love and serve in this grace and then expect more of it this is god's sovereign plan so that no man can boast in heaven as the ages go by this is what we are talking about this super abounding overflowing grace which comes along with faith and love in the messiah jesus paul can paul uses jesus christ sometimes but very often he uses messiah jesus he wants to be very vivid he wants to be very pointed the great expectation from the old testament the seed of david the 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 union of all things the reign of god the co-regency there is that child who's going to come who's going to bear the government on his shoulders the redemption from our iniquities that is going to come all of that paul realized that is the messiah jesus that man who i tried to persecute and his followers that i tried to persecute and so he's talking about mercy and he's shocking us even more as this unmerited favor have come to him in christ jesus you think he would stop there but immediately he begins to agree with the common saying of that time if you see uh, verse 15 this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am foremost out of the personal experience he can agree with the common affirmation can you do this this morning is it probably just common affirmations that you are learning but there's no personal experience that causes that common affirmation to be more real and personal 
Can you say with Paul out of personal experience? Yes, with the believers in history, I can affirm that this is the saying of sayings, the trustworthy saying, which deserves full acceptance, that the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, came into the world. In Pune, we still have, uh, um, they call it a Shabbat house, the house where the Jews meet for prayer. And over there we have this huge background, that Mashiach is coming. But they don't get it. They are still waiting for the, for the Messiah to come. But we have received the good news. We have understood that this Messiah Jesus came into this world. God invaded our history. Christ became man. How do we know that? Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Can there be anybody who knew God's heart more than him? Who knew what real spiritual spirituality is? The Bible says upon him the spirit of fear and wisdom would dwell upon. Can you think of anybody else who could match the wisdom, the insight on spiritual things that Christ Jesus had? Can you think of anybody else? You know, John the Baptist had his doubts. He sent his disciples and Jesus taught him from the, taught them from the Old Testament. This is what's ha- happening. The captives are being set free. I've come with my kingdom and this is the demonstration. Can you think of anybody else with such kind of power all-powerful manifestation over nature, over disease, over demons. Can you think of anybody else who would suddenly in the middle of all this take the road to Calvary in submission to the Father? It's like you're reading the book of Matthew, for instance, and everything's going right and you might think that he would just set up his kingdom in power. But it's amazing that he takes the road to Jerusalem just as the Bible prophesied. Isaiah 53, he goes like a flint, he sets his face. No normal person would do all those kinds of things. He is the son of God who became man. He knew the plan of God and he is the Messiah, Jesus. And he came into this world to save sinners, to save sinners. How clear is that? How pointed is that? It's amazing how the church in India by large has missed that. That's what being promoted everywhere. Christ Jesus, the blesser. Christ Jesus, the healer. Christ Jesus, who takes care of your problems. Christ Jesus, your friend. Christ Jesus, uh, you know, just a support in life. But how clear is this? How pointed is this? That Christ Jesus, he came. Why? To save us from our sins. By the way, what does that tell us about our condition? It says we are in grave danger outside of Christ. It says we cannot save and deliver ourselves. As helpless probably as those people on that flight were. That went down, went missing. Can you imagine just sitting there not able to help and save. And even graver is our condition outside of Christ. None of our good works. Why would God send his holy, perfect son if my tears could earn my way to him? My reforming my mind, my habits, my new year resolutions, etc., etc. could work my way to him. That is why he came, the Messiah Jesus. He came into this world to save sinners. The help came from outside. It was not found within the realm of fallen 
mankind. He came to save sinners. What does that mean? How did he do that? You read Hebrews chapter 2, what will you find? Amazing, amazing words. Like he tasted death on our behalf. The wages of sin is death. He took all our consequences. He took away the ugliness of death as he submitted himself to the Father's plan. And he's made death a mere formality for us. He takes away our guilt. He takes away the the slavery to sin as we are resurrected in Christ Jesus. As we begin to walk with him, we come to know what it means to have this everyday saving. A little by little, little ways forward, slipping a little, little ways forward. His spirit is with us. His word is with us. His living word, his presence is with us. And then he saves us in a final way on the day of salvation. He takes us to be with him forever. That's the full picture of that word salvation. Not just saving us and then kind of leaving us on our own, but taking us to full safety in his presence. So Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's the affirmation that they held on to and we should hold very dear to our lives. And then Paul begins putting everything in perspective who says, of whom I am the foremost. And that brings us to our next point. The gracious purposes of God as Paul begins to see them in saving a sinner like him, that causes him to well up with gratitude and bow down in worship. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Yeah, you can look at Paul's life, but you should very quickly be impressed with his savior. You should look at his life and and look at his life and just see where he was and what he was doing and be impressed by the patience of his savior. Even as his savior was hearing the cries of the church that was being persecuted and was very patient with him and forbearing with him. That's what we should be impressed, amazed by. And by the way, this is so encouraging. God's purposes for making Paul Uh, for saving Paul as a trophy of grace so that in the ages to come, people like us, when we doubt, when we fear, when we think, are we savable? I've gone, you don't know my story. Well, let me tell you Paul's story. Does it get any worse than this? Probably might, some of our stories. But this should encourage and motivate us to to run to Christ, to hope in Him. He is, of course, just full of grace and truth, just like John knew the Yahweh God of the Old Testament, full of grace and truth. And that's what it should motivate us to run to Christ. And Paul is saying, I'm an example for all those who will believe in him for eternal life. All those who will come to rest on him. And I can't think of a better example than about this tightrope walker over Niagara Falls. And he would do it so often and people would come and see him doing that. And one day he turned to the crowd that had gathered and said, Do you believe that I can do it yet again? And everybody said, Yes. Then he said, How about somebody come and rest themselves on my back and I'll piggyback you and take you to and fro. Everybody's hands went down. But then finally they say somebody trusted themselves and went and leaned over on his shoulders. And in some ways that's what saving faith is. You stop trusting in yourself and you look at those all-sufficient shoulders of Jesus Christ. His perfect life, 
His perfect, His atoning death on our behalf, His resurrection, and all that we could never accomplish in and of ourselves, and all that He has accomplished. And then we go and lean on His shoulders to take us through all the way. And that's what Paul is saying to those who will rest, lean, trust in Him for eternal life. Probably God in His plan had a preacher come from 8,000 miles away uh, in a different accent, different color, but to tell you the same things. Will you resist or will you come and rest yourself on this mighty Jesus? People from all over the world, they are finding this only one way, this only one way, this only one name where they come and lean upon because there is no other name given whereby one might be saved except Christ Jesus. So that's what he lays out before us, serving grace, saving grace, and God's gracious purposes, even in his own salvation. And no wonder it causes him to just respond in worship. If you see Romans 11, he's been talking about, you know, just these mighty moves of God with the terms of Israel and the Gentiles. And, and how he's going to kind of save all Israel one day. And he's thinking about this amazing large-scale operation of God. That should amaze us. And he erupts in praise over there as well. But this should too. This personal saving work that he accomplished in our lives. And he responds with an amazing response. He makes God look so other and so great and so glorious. That it's, it's, it, it would take... So many weeks to unpack this sermon in and of itself. Just verse 17, he says, To the king of the ages. Isn't God acting like a sovereign savior in Paul's life? Paul even didn't know what he was doing. And then he is invaded by the love of Christ and the saving grace of Christ. He's acted sovereign. So many people would put up their hands. But he's done this, but he's done that, but he's done this. But this is the sovereign king of the ages. He says, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whomever I have compassion. He is outside our time and space. He has been king forever. He never ascended to any throne. He owns it from eternity to eternity, before eternity. It's kind of crazy to put our minds around it. But he is the king of the ages, immortal. So many kings... They come, they, they come to their prime and then they start going down in their effectiveness, in their control. And we have rebellion. Even in Solomon's reign, as he started growing old, we have, you know, rebellion coming in, etc., etc. But this king, he is immortal. He will not change. He will not wax. He will not wane. He will not diminish. It's beyond us. It's beyond us. His attributes will stay forever after redeeming people from every tribe and tongue and nation that will never deplete him of his grace, his mercy. After setting up the new heaven and the new earth, he will still be the same. He'll never be exhausted, ready to show us his grace as the ages go back. He's invisible. He's, he, he chooses to reveal himself in the Old Testament in ways in certain places and we get to see him. But he has revealed himself in Christ Jesus and we will see God in Christ in heaven because he is the perfect image of the awesome God. 
And he is the only God by virtue of all these attributes that we've been thinking about. There can be no rival. There can be no usurping in heaven after a million years from now. There can be no one who can rival and challenge him. We are safe in him forever. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Such a God, such eternal blessings can only mean that he should be at the center forever and ever. Nobody can rival him in his mercy and favor. And to him alone must these grace and honor and, 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 and exaltation be given. And he ends with Amen. What can we learn practically as we close? Reminiscing on your testimony, it's not like an either-or situation. It's, you have to, it's so sweet, why wouldn't you? And that will help us to be filled with gratitude, that will help us to be filled with worship. And can you see that this is the form of sound doctrine? This is what Paul wants to be at center stage in contrast to all those other teachers who are trying to make myths and genealogies on center straight. Side issues can never help, Paul says. This is what helps with the furtherance of the plan of God by faith. These are faith-encouraging, enhancing words. And may these be center stage. May these never run dry of their meaning. May we just keep going deeper and deeper into these. And may we live out our Christian life by the power of these truths. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we worship you this morning. We adore you for who you are and what you've done in Christ. We just pray that, Lord Jesus, help us to recount day in and day out, Lord. Help us to give you the glory and, and very consciously and pointedly think of your gospel and acknowledge personally and corporately and just continue to give you all the praise and glory. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you will continue to be our God forever and we are safe in you. We just worship you for who you are. We pray that you would receive all the glory and honor in this side of the globe and in the other side of the globe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.